Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here, and we are we are like finishing out the year, y'all. So we have got just like a couple shows here on tap uh, for you. And so let me give you a little heads up about what's coming up later on. For our inbox, we have a listener who is wondering... How can you study the Bible without it getting repetitive? So what does that look like? And our friend, Pastor Mark Bates, is going to weigh in. And then for our culture segment, Pastor Ken Harmon and Dr. Trent Langhofer are back for part two on helping someone who has struggled with an addiction. And quite frankly, that person might be you. And so uh, today they're going to address some of the do's and don'ts uh, for having this conversation, what it looks like to be a friend to someone in this situation. And so I think you're going to find it really helpful. Okay, here we are for our roundtable, and we have got a great group of folks here. In fact, we have our own John Pearden. Hey, John. Hey, Lisa. Our own Bree Sharon. Hey, Bree. Hello. And honorary boundless friend, Casey Ewing. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> Casey, it's great to have you here. She's actually part of our, you guys know she's been on many shows, but we always pull her in for these growth things that we're <laughs> going to talk about because... She works in human resource development, and so really she's obligated to be a growing person. And so part of the job description. (laughs) This way we can we know that she goes after a lot of this stuff on her own, but this way we can make her feel bad about it if she's not. So (laughs) it makes it super helpful. So, um, all right. Well, we're going to have a conversation around uh, what were all those goals that we made in January, which were almost a year ago. Some of you like to call them resolutions. Some of you, I know, are already threatening to tune out because you don't like goals and resolutions. So we're going to have that conversation as well. And so um, everyone's going to have to show their hand as far as where they are on the spectrum, as far as the interest in and ability to make goals and keep them. So did anyone have goals in 2023? So what if so, what were they? John, why don't you start? Yeah, kind of the stereotypical lose weight goal was up there. Okay. I did actually make some progress on that. Not quite as much as I wanted to make. I lost about 15 pounds. I wanted to lose 30. Oh, wow. And... 15 is good, though. Yeah, Yeah. I did make some progress on it. So thankfully in time for one of my best friend's weddings, so I could look good in pictures. But um, reading goal... uh, Maybe C plus. I did great in the summer months, but then honestly, a lot of this year was inconsistent in that regard. So I didn't quite hit my reading goal per se. Mm -hmm. No, I hear you. That's I feel like reading goals are a common one for folks, because especially with the whole digital addiction and everything, we're all trying to just get into more like cerebral kind of things. And everybody has a good reads goal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I only got into that actually this year because I was at a conference in January where I met a woman who was on Goodreads. And I not that I didn't know about it, but I'd never like actually put the app on my phone. And she's like, well, why don't I friend you? And I'm like, okay. And then all of a sudden, I'm like seeing all the books she's reading. And I'm like, does this woman like have a life or what's going on here? <laughs> Book she's every three days. Of- yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, um, yeah. are these like picture books? What are you doing here? So anyway, Audio I just thought that was very is what I've learned. Intimidating. <laughs> That's how okay. people crank them out. Okay. And I've jumped onto the train and I've like finished like three books in the last two weeks. So, oh, so yeah, you just well have done. it on while you're doing everyday chores. And it's a nice commute thing for me now. Okay. So, okay. So, Bree, to that point, tell us about because I have heard through the grapevine that you are loath to actually set goals. It's not that I don't set goals. It's that I don't set New Year's resolutions. Oh. I'm not one of the people at the beginning of the year that's like, I'm going to lose weight. <laughs> Sorry, John. Um, <laughs> um, but it's not that I'm like lacking of goals. I do set goals. I just would say that I do more, I don't know, short-term goals, or I just think of like the goal for this month is kind of this, but it's not like January, here's my goals for the year, because I don't oh, know what okay. the year's going to entail. Okay. Um, but I've had some like long-term goals that just came to fruition this year, which was cool. Um, Yeah, because we have been saving up to get a new-to-us car for a while, and we finally got to do that. Mm -hmm. And then, Yeah, thank you. I feel like such a Mm -hmm. grown-up. I don't drive a, I don't know, three years younger than me car anymore. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that's really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also, I guess it's not super long-term, but even just like, getting a brand new job that is different than what my degree was, was a, was a nice goal that I had this year that I accomplished. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
All right, Casey, tell us about goals. Well, uh, <laughs> I did have, I think, 40 when the year started. <laughs> like, not going to lie. It's got to be like the biggest, because I would say I'm in that, I love setting goals. I have my app where I put my goals, but yes. even I don't have 40. So you have eclipsed me in aspirational goals yeah. that you're going to put on paper. I just think through all the different categories of my life and then come up yeah. with all sorts of goals. But it's a mix of goals I know I will attain and then goals that are kind of a stretching goal for mm -hmm. me. Also, I mix it up with small goals where I'm like, oh, I'll just test these out. And then if I throw them out, I throw them out. And I, there's no shame in it. So mm -hmm. I feel like I have a wide spectrum of goals. Goodreads actually was one of those things where I set the goal of 40 books last year that I hit nice. barely in December. And then I thought to myself, you know, I actually could probably stretch myself in this more. And Goodreads like challenged me in it, which is really funny. Mm -hmm. And so I set the like the 52 one book a week goal, no surpassed that back in July. Wow. And oh, then wow. I changed <laughs> it. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to do 75 books now. And I have Excellent. a roommate who has 100 books and just hit it out of the park. And so same thing, though. She's listening to audiobooks while she's reading other books. And what? while she's what like in the world. Oh, that's ambitious. And they're all, a lot of them has to do with school, too, because she's in grad school. So it's oh. also like. Like she's reading theological textbooks, and mm. I'm like, that's not for me. I read a lot of fantasy this year just to hit that goal. Uh, so I just gave myself a lot more leverage, I think, mm. like a lot more leeway in saying I don't have to have nonfiction. It can be a mix of fiction and nonfiction mm -hmm. and audiobooks, and I bought a Kindle, so it's nice. even digital sometimes. And mm -hmm. um, Yeah, so I'm, I'm at 70 one books now, and I'm just like Dang. working on that. Another big goal that I had was to get scuba certified. I even mentioned that on the show yeah. earlier in January, and I just got scuba certified last month. So well I'm just slowly like looking at my goals from the year and saying, I did miss a lot of the 40, <laughs> but a lot of these other ones are really good to be proud of, and I'm fixating yeah. more on those, which yeah. is great. Did That's you like write them all down? Like, do you have a list of the 40? Yes. Oh, yeah. They are somewhere in a notebook that I have yeah. since moved on from. <laughs> I, have a, I have a friend that we, we didn't do it this year, but we have for years running made a thing of it at the beginning of the year. Usually we can't, we have to get past the holidays because it's too crazy. But sometime in January, we get together and we either go out for like, we either do a half day retreat or we do, we'll, you know, if we can't, we'll just do an evening or coffee or something where we write down all of our goals, hopefully having thought of them beforehand. And then we share, we use the app where you can share each other's lists and then you mm. can kind of check up on each other and stuff. And that's always been a fun, a fun thing to do, I think. So is there like accountability in that? Um, like, are well, you like, where be, are you on except, your scuba yeah. certification? <laughs> no, I mean, ideally there, ideally there are, but we are both people that make more goals than we know we're going to keep. Oh, sure. We're both super forgiving of like, it's okay, you know, you don't want, you know, you had to eat the entire package of Oreos, so maybe <laughs> just have a one pound weight goal loss this year, <laughs> yes. you know. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of how we roll. So I think I might need to add a little more of a hardcore person to my, uh, you know, maybe a triangle of accountability instead yeah. of this friend, but... Bless her heart. I love her. She's great. But are there anyway. any like goals that you write down on your resolution lists just to cross them off? Like, you know, like some of those people that have even like their daily tasks where they're like, answer emails. I just write that on there so I can cross it off kind of thing. Do you do that with mm. your resolutions? I don't as much with my resolutions just because I know like, yeah, I feel like my New Year's goal list is going to be something that's going to be a little trickier. I do try to make, though, to Casey's point, them in different categories and different levels of difficulty so that there are some I can hit a little more easily. But it's not going to be like, you know, get rid of 10 pairs of socks or something that's just a task, you know, because then that's a whole philosophical thing of the difference between tasks and goals. So, yeah, I think yeah. it's just a little bit different. So to that point, I would love to hear... Like, what do you guys feel then, whether it's, you know, goals you've actually put on paper or just things that you know you kind of want to grow in, what are some of the biggest curveballs that you face or the things that threaten to derail or you saw did derail certain things this year? For me, some of it was traveling was a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. Some of that was by choice, but also some of it was circumstantial. So it was very tough for me to get in a rhythm. And I, I've shared this before on the podcast, but from the beginning of the year, 
to mid-May, I went back to the South three times. Mm -hmm. Two of those were because my grandfather, who was 90 years old, was passing away. We thought he was going to pass away in February. He ended up surviving until May. And in between those two trips, I went on vacation (laughs) to Mm. visit family and also see him one more time, which I'm extremely thankful for. But it definitely made it tough to get into a rhythm where I could just kind of consistently focus on the things that I wanted to focus on. And then summer, I just traveled a lot. I went to four different weddings earlier this year, and I'm going to a fifth one. Um, Shout out to the ones that I couldn't make. Mm -hmm. I I Sadly, there were a couple that were on the same day that I just only could make one. But um, yeah, it was a combination of lots of different travel made it tough to get into a rhythm. Mm -hmm. Well, and all that Southern food, too, is hard to meet a weight goal. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But um, thankfully, yeah, I have a dad who's very focused on um, <laughs> on fitness, and mm-hmm. so he really has helped a lot as far as pushing me to get better. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I think I was a lot more successful this year than I've been in years past because I set more realistic goals mm-hmm. for myself or things that I could control. So, for instance, instead of a weight loss goal – sorry, John, not to throw you under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> but instead of a weight loss goal, I set a goal of I'm going to attend X amount of fitness classes. Nice. For me, that was – 150 Orange Theory classes, Mm. which I hit. And I think for me, that was saying, okay, I can actually control this. And instead of being discouraged by whatever the scale said, or just knowing that I was still getting fit, and that was my actual goal. So Mm. getting to the root of why am I setting these goals? Is it attainable? Even the the book goal, I could have set 75 books off the bat, but I think that would have discouraged me from Mm. even doing as much as I did. So for me this year, I don't I don't think there were as many barriers. I also, I think I gave myself a lot of grace when it came to methods as well. So in the past, a huge thing was if I if I try and read physical books and I listen to an audiobook, that doesn't count. And that was kind mm-hmm. of another layer that I was making it more challenging for myself. And so this year I said, well, what was the point of that? Mm-hmm. Like I set my own goals. Mm-hmm. I get to choose what success yep. looks like. So that has been really huge in having uh, more success. So I can't think of anything that was a huge barrier besides the fact that the ones that, yeah, were too big probably didn't happen mm-hmm. still. Yeah. Well, I just, I'm thinking of, you know, you and your goals, Casey, you had to have, just to accomplish those things, you had to have cut some clutter out of your life. Because to do, I mean, you're talking about more than half or about half of the year's days, you at least did a fitness class, plus to read that number of books, plus, I mean, plus to do life. Because I'm thinking, I can tell you right now what derailed me. TV derailed me because <laughs> oh, yeah, I got I into a couple series <laughs> that mm-hmm. I would prioritize over reading books. Mm-hmm. And my book goal, I mean, I probably read like 15 books out of 50 was my goal. Okay. So now I, I currently have about seven going that if I can finish all of them before <laughs> the end of the year, which I think I'll be able to That'd do because awesome. they're all in progress, then I'll have hit like 20 some, but that's still like mm-hmm. less than half of my goal, whatever. Okay. So TV derailed that. Um, and then I feel like in the in the fitness area and other stuff too, I can see easily like early on in the year, I tried to figure out this weird gut stuff that kind Mm -hmm. of put me on a weird protocol that I couldn't really prioritize other stuff. And then um, also just kind of like one thing that weirdly was a sabotager was uh, hanging out at a, a house that I house sit for and cat sit for. Well, that puts me in a house that's not my own. And so I can just shut out all the things that need to be done or prioritized in my own environment because mm-hmm. I'm just going to live in this person's environment and be about this and stuff. <laughs> and so I found it was a really weird year for me and kind of to John's point of feeling like a little bit disappointed and feeling like the months went by and certain things I felt like, yeah, C plus for sure on a couple in a couple areas. But I don't know. Yeah, to your point, Lisa, of cutting things out, I do feel like I'm so behind the curve in like any Netflix show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People were talking about suits being on Netflix mm-hmm. and I said I really want to watch it. I watched two episodes and realized I would rather be reading. Mm. And so I kind of, I've developed some of these habits that have stuck. Mm -hmm. But yeah, in the beginning, it felt awful to be excluded from, well, everyone's watching this TV show. And I just had chosen not to do that and prioritize my time differently. And I'm also taking, I took four master's degree classes this year. And so that was 
something I had to prioritize over mm-hmm. playing pickleball with friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a part of me that's sad about that too, though. Yeah. Because I, I, I feel like I sacrificed relationships for my goals. Oh, and I know yeah. there's a better way of doing that moving forward. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting going into this year, seeing how, or this coming year, seeing an application of that. Like, how do you get balance in that and the relational aspect of stuff? Or like, maybe your goal is like, has something to do with more relational sides of things of like, oh, maybe this year I prioritize relationships over reading. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Brie, what does that look like for you? Because speaking of FOMO, do you feel FOMO like being left out of the goals conversations? Or do you feel like you're still accomplishing things? So how do you kind of uh, insert that into kind of other people's conversations? Well, number one, I would just like to point out that I'm very inspired by Casey now at this point. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll check she's in with Brie again. Knocking out her goals. Said. Let's do yeah. goals together. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like scuba is in your future. I, okay. <laughs> I probably just need accountability. Um, I don't know. What's so funny, though, is that I realized recently that I really am one of those task people that will put a task on my list in order to cross it off. So mm-hmm. I think I am that way with my goals too, of like, oh, this is my goal. And sometimes I do set goals. Like I also have a Goodreads goal, but it was like 24 bucks this year. And I have not yet reached that, but I bet you I can do it in December. And I am, I am cranking it out, guys. That app is really actually driving me to yes. <laughs> accomplish it, plus all my friends and their peer pressure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. The only thing I could think of in ways of a curveball for my goals this year was just how I did not know that it would take so long to achieve them. Mm. So like, for example, with my car goal, it wasn't a goal for this year. It is a goal I've had for like four or five years now and have just been having to save and save and save for that. I didn't, I didn't know at the time that it would take five years to actually accomplish it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like it necessarily derailed me. It just took longer than I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than that, I'm, all of my goals are very short term. I like to accomplish things and I like to mark things off and be like, ah, oh, yeah, go Brie. You did it. Yeah. But it's not, I'm just, I'm not as structured as setting 40 goals at the beginning of the year and checking them off. Yeah. Okay. So there is something to be said though, because I think both Casey and John said this in their own way as well in being okay with the unexpected, or maybe Mm -hmm. even something that's an unexpected blessing or something that comes up or something that you hadn't planned on doing, but kind of got put into your year, and it turned out to be a good thing. So where did something like that show up for you, would you say? Going back to mentioning my grandfather passed away in May, Mm -hmm. it was actually in February, the first time that I went back, not long before he passed, that my grandmother approached me and said, John, uh, your granddaddy and I have talked. We'd like for you to speak at his funeral. Mm. And I had never spoken at a funeral before. Mm. I had, I think, given an invocation for a graduation ceremony a long time ago back in high school. But this was my first time ever speaking at a funeral. And boy, I can tell you, I have never been that nervous Mm. before giving a speech. But when I look back on it, I think, wow, that was unexpected. That was tough. I miss him tremendously. This is the first round of holidays where he's not here. He's in heaven now. But that was one of the biggest honors of my life, to be able to honor him and credit him for all the ways he's invested in me. And I'll carry that memory with me the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it was a really, really special moment. Yeah, that's cool. I think what's interesting is that for me, and this, I don't necessarily think this pertains to a goal because it's, well, maybe it does. I don't know. It's just personal growth in general. Uh, But I feel like a lot of the unexpected memories that have happened this year have actually come from conflict, but in ways that propelled me towards growth. So like I have, I had some conflict with family that I really had to work through and I'm really proud of the growth that has come out of that. And so it's not like you can expect conflict. I mean, you can in a way of like, you're going to have conflict in this life, but um, just not specifically what type of conflict is going to come your way. And I am just, I'm proud of the steps that I've taken and like the counseling that I've done to just really grow personally. And I don't know, that's, that's kind of unexpected. Mm -hmm. That's neat. Yeah. I would say a lot of the unexpected things that happened to me this year were good. So my sister had twins and, um, 
I did not expect that because she just got married last October. <laughs> and my dad had open heart surgery, and that was really unexpected. And I think a lot of those things just ended up being ruining my routine. <laughs> that sounds so bad. <laughs> but there it, there ended up being a lot of good things with trips um, and hard things with trips for my father. But I think those things... Though unexpected, they just provided that richness that I wouldn't have had if I had just stuck to my routine and mm-hmm. stayed in my room and read my books and uh, did my school. <laughs> and uh, I think that was – I didn't see them as ruining my goals either. I just kind of adapted. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what you're saying is right with the flexibility of just, mm-hmm. well, it can look differently. And um, my goal of scuba diving – actually, I did not think that was going to happen, honestly – and it happened where the week before my friend was getting scuba certified, she said, "What do you do you want to do this with me? Because you had said it was your goal. I'm like, well, I guess I do. Because it, <laughs> it was a goal of mine. <laughs> but it was unexpected for me to even accomplish that goal. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't see the unexpected things as being something that took away from from the richness of the year. It, like Bree mm-hmm. said, like it was unexpected, but it was so enriching for my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I felt like my own schedule, because I'm very like, I'll even do checkpoints throughout the year of like fearing that I'm missing or that the year is getting away from me. And that happens, you know, I've said this many times on the show with summer because I love summer. And if summer gets away from me and I didn't experience it, I'm just mad. Well, summer was really long in Colorado this year, which was great because mm-hmm. spring or whatever we called it with rain was also super long. It rained for like two months. Yeah. So I feel like I reclaimed. <laughs> claimed some of my summer now at the end of or or through fall because we had a really warm fall. So that was great. And then I got to cap it off with a fun family vacation where my brother and niece and I went on a cruise together. And so I felt like my summer was extended. So I felt good, almost like that was redeemed a little bit, whereas my actual summer was a little bit of a train wreck. And there were just other things where I felt like, well, this goal's going by the wayside and this isn't happening and blah, blah, blah. And of course, we celebrated Boundless's 25th, Mm -hmm. which I felt was a really work-intensive summer, Mm -hmm. you know, make all that happen. And so, um, yeah, so it was just kind of sweet to see that kind of come out uh, the end in that that sense. So, all right, well, let's just talk about heading into the new year then. So as we've talked here, anything different that's going to happen? Anything new? I mean, besides Casey prioritizing a few relationships? possibly over or doing listening to audiobooks with, with people <laughs> and, and we are going to get together over yeah. lunch <laughs> yeah. yeah while playing pickleball you listen <laughs> yeah. to audiobooks yeah. yeah there you go three in one friends yep. pickleball nice. see i tried pickleball my first day out i blew like i fell and completely blew up my knee so i had a black and bruise blue. down the entire length of my leg it was terrible so i have like, yet to try pickleball maybe me. that will be one of it my goals it was very fun I've i want to give it, it another try but i have actually not played it yet yeah. We should all play. It Four was, of us. That's start great. A group. It was good. <laughs> That's my goal. Well, I mean, I don't really, you know, set resolutions, but I'm trying to figure out also, like, I like to achieve things. So if I'm not going to actually achieve it, I don't want to set the goal. So if I reach my Goodreads goal, then I will extend it next year or like say like this year, I'm going to read this many books. But if I don't reach my goal, I'll keep it the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll see if I can get it this year or something. But other than that, I, I'm trying to figure out more of like, what are my priorities? So like similar to like what we were encouraging Casey to do with like pursuing relationships, I'm wondering like, what are my priorities for next year? What are my focuses and what short-term goals could I set around those? So like, I really want to do more with my family. Like I want to do more family trips or vacations and like go places with them and just explore because I think that that would be a blast and Colorado is such an incredible state that I just I want my family to see it and so I want to prioritize family and then just set goals around that Mm -hmm. so I'm trying to I think that's kind of my my idea then it's just like what are my priorities and then setting goals based off of that yeah and my goals do have a lot to do with relationships in my life and I'm I've noticed I do a much better job if I have consistency, so having regularly scheduled, regularly occurring meetings with people, I'm much less likely to skip those. So for a while, I had a friend and we were meeting monthly. So the first Thursday of every month, we would go get coffee. And we kept that up for a while. And then she had a baby. And it wasn't you, Brie. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't worry. laughs> but 
shouldn't have a baby this year. It's similar. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Give so, her time. Give yeah. Her time. yeah. <laughs> oh, you have two cute babies. Um, so I, I just realized that worked for me during the time we did it and trying to reclaim that with some of those friends and not feeling worried that we've missed out on that time. I think it's hard to get over the fear of lost time and mm-hmm. to start from now. Um, so I'm, I'm reconnecting with friends. So that's my biggest goal is to reach out to people and be willing to kind of humbly say, I'm so sorry. It's on me partially for this. Uh, and we need to get together because I value our friendships and our relationships and mm-hmm. life is less fun without you in it. So mm-hmm. very good. Yeah. To y'all's points about relationships, I have found that that's huge as far as being able to maintain a goal because we we just do so much better when we're actually doing it with somebody or we have somebody keeping us accountable. And I found that that's where I found the most success this year was the times where I was updating somebody on my progress, talking about losing weight. When I did lose the 15 pounds, um, I was giving my dad updates along the way. Hey, here's how many calories I burned on the elliptical today. Here's an adjustment I'm making on my diet. That's huge. I mean, just it's so simple, but yet it's so much more motivating when you've got somebody that you can really kind of keep updated on that goal. Mm-hmm. And another, uh, and then he can be like, uh, John, that's child's play. You're going to have to do more than that. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's like, yeah, let like me tell you how to do it. Right. Yeah. But uh, another thing I really started to take inventory of in recent weeks is I started to try to pay attention to who are some people in my life who are successful, who always just seem to crush the goals. Mm. And then who are those people that no matter what, even if they try really hard, they just seem to be stuck. Mm. And this is kind of direct, but one thing I noticed is the people who succeed make adjustments. Mm. The people who get stuck make excuses. Mm. And I really started to ask myself, okay, what areas of my life am I making excuses in that God is telling me make an adjustment in? Mm -hmm. So that's really something kind of throughout this year that I want to take inventory of throughout 2024 is, all right, don't make um, excuses, make adjustments. Mm -hmm. I will say this, uh, you're going to hear from Ken Harmon here in a little bit. He did teach me that. So (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's good. Well, and kind of to that point, and I'll finish with this, um, because we didn't talk about this, but it kind of plays into that. I'm realizing that for my next year, there are a couple things that actually need to be dropped in order to accomplish a couple other things. And so I have a couple not to just bail on people or on commitments, but I have a couple commitments that are ending that I think will be good because they're they're, uh, energy and time that I can allot to something else. And so I think taking stock and being like, am I doing the best things, the most effective things, the most life-giving things, you know, helpful things um, in different arenas and then make adjustments accordingly there as well. So you guys, thanks so much for waiting in. This is awesome. Thanks, Lisa. Love so deep, you jump right in and just keep falling. Love so high, all the stars can't comprehend. And love so wide, east and west can't wrap their minds around it. Your love is boundless, your love is boundless. And love so deep, you jump right in and just keep falling. Love so high, all stars can't comprehend And love so wide East and West can wrap their minds around it Your love is boundless Your love is boundless Alright folks, we are back. This is week two in our conversation with doctors Trent Langhofer and Ken Harmon two great friends of Boundless. They are local dudes here who, um, as you will find out if you go back and listen to last week's show, if you didn't catch it, if you did, you know that we're in for part two today. If you didn't, go back because they tell their own stories of addiction. So these aren't just preachy preachers and uh, (laughs) official official dudes who want to tell you how to run your life. I mean, they will if you ask them, you know, quite frankly. But that said, uh, this is much more about the grace of God and the power of redemption in our individual stories in a number of different levels. So today, um, well, first of all, welcome back, guys. 
Thank so you. thankful to be Appreciate here. So, so thank grateful you. to have you back. Okay, I, I mentioned last week that this week we want to talk about those in our circle of friendship, in our families, in our what does it look like when you are looking from the outside in on someone that you know is having a struggle? Maybe they are in literally the throes of addiction and you are feeling powerless to help. How do we go about this? What's our responsibility even as the church, as believers to speak into this, to be a soft landing place for people that whether or not they've asked for help or they don't know yet to ask for help, how do we navigate this space? So I want to kick this off by um, starting out with maybe what your insight is on what might be a common mistake or common mistakes that well-meaning friends or family members often make that maybe we can clear that out first of all of like, you know, because I've said many times on The Boundless Show, I just wish that everyone understood that I knew exactly what they should be doing with their lives. I mean, I feel like it's a gift. If I could just tell people, like, here's what you need to do, and they're just going to be like, thanks, Lisa, for letting me know, because now I'm just going to, I mean, what in the world? So, okay, I love telling other people what to do. I have a hard time applying it to myself. So let's talk about that. Common mistakes that a friend or a family member of an addict can make and how to avoid that. So I think one of the things that was different with me versus uh, a hard substance like uh, Dr. Trent experience was um, I didn't believe I was an addict. Mm. Mm -hmm. Pre-Christ, I believed I was gifted (laughs) with women. Mm -hmm. So as I now moved into ministry and continued in ministry, and I it wasn't an overnight um, sobriety; it was a long journey. But I remember. So I had two. I was married twice before uh, cheated on both of them. Uh, They didn't know it, but um, I didn't think I was an addict. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand I was an addict because my my stepfather, who died of kidney cirrhosis, he was an addict. Mm -hmm. He I you could see his addiction. I wasn't an addict. I seized opportunities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And um, so, you just liked sex. Let's yeah, be yeah, honest. Yeah, okay. okay. That's what you're going to say. But, okay. Uh, honestly, I didn't like sex. Oh, okay. Because I didn't like the, the, the drop uh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. of the loneliness yeah. that, uh, that I spoke about in the last episode. So, yeah. uh, but years later, so I'm no longer, um, I'm married, been married for years. Um, now I'm into porn, but I wasn't, into porn even before I became saved. I didn't have to be. I could make a phone call. So I'm into porn and now I I'm, I'm can't shake porn. And now I'm starting to feel the effects of what I guess an addict is. But I'm like, I'm not an addict. I'm not an addict. I'm just struggling with porn. I'm just struggling with porn. And so one morning, Lisa, I was out walking and I was, I was having an argument with God about why I can't shake this, why he's not relieving me of this. And, and I was like... God, you know, you you made me like this. And I heard him say to me, you've always been an addict. Mm. And I was, I literally stopped in my track. I was stunned. Like, no, I'm not an addict. I, I, I'm not in a corner somewhere. I'm not losing everything. But I began to understand what he said. And that was the first time it ever came out of my mouth that I was an addict. Mm-hmm. Because the, the struggle I had, people didn't see as a problem. Mm-hmm. It's different when you're a substance, you have a substance problem. People, I worked for Spring Rescue Mission as a caseworker, which is the homeless shelter here in the city. But it was easy to see those problems. It was harder to see my own problem because it was an inner turmoil problem. Mm -hmm. So for me, coming to grips with who I really was, as Dr. Trent said in the last episode, was uh, astounding to me. Yeah. Yeah, which is so good because it it reminds me of, you know, we were talking at the end of the last episode about how anyone on any kind of continuum, the struggles that we have, and all of us being sinners, the first thing we want to do is prop ourselves up with a sin management system. Let's try to manage this so that we don't have to admit what it actually is. So, okay, Trent, give us your insights here. Lisa, I could say a lot about this. So I want to mention a couple of things that I think are common mistakes friends or loved ones of addicts make in trying to help the people that they love who are struggling. So the first thing I would say is I think one mistake that's made is the assumption that there is a one-size-fits-all approach to helping a person get sober. Mm -hmm. 
Without question, there are multiple ways of peeling the orange of sobriety. There is one non-negotiable, no matter what, you got to have this thing. And that is spiritual transformation through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So if we have that, there are lots of different places we can go from there to, to get and establish sobriety. So I think everybody's an expert when you ask them for advice regarding a loved one or a friend in your life who might be struggling with addiction. All those people mean well who are armchair quarterback in your life. I would encourage your listeners to extract some wisdom from each of those people and kind of gauge that landscape to maybe decide what path is best regarding how they should approach their loved one or friend who's struggling with an addiction. Second thing I would say, Lisa, is I think um, people can make the mistake of taking responsibility for another person's behavior. Each person on planet Earth has to own their own behavior. To be perfectly clear, we can definitely influence and inspire behavior in others, but ultimately their behavior is their responsibility. What this means, and I think the one thing that I feel is really critical to say about this is that there's not one cause of addiction. Addiction is a complex, multifaceted issue. And and I think some people listening to this are maybe parents uh, who have sons or daughters that are an addict. And I've talked to thousands of parents in that situation. And almost always they think some parenting shortfall or mistake they've made as parents is the cause of their son or daughter's addiction. And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. There are multiple factors that play into the development of an addictive disorder or behavioral, behavioral disorder. Is imperfect parenting potentially a contributing factor? Sure. But there isn't a perfect parent on planet Earth. And so I don't need parents blaming themselves or taking responsibility for the behavior of their loved ones. I I do want them to consider how they might influence or inspire a change in behavior in their their sons, daughters, or friends. Um, The third thing I want to say is I think a common mistake people make is – by focusing on behavior change before relationship connection. Mm -hmm. What addicts really need is to feel connected. And one of the worst ways to feel connected is by telling somebody all the things about them that they should change, right? Mm -hmm. We rarely meet a person for the first time and say, you know what, I really don't like the way that shirt looks on you, or (laughs) I can't believe you talk the way you do, Mm -hmm. or why do you even hang out at a place like this? Um, We're complimentary, we're kind, we're warm, we're engaging, and that's probably the most important place to start and the most important place to camp out. Definitely addicts need to change behavior and thinking. That's not in question. Uh, But the important question is, how do we inspire that? And my answer to that would be through connection. All right, last thing I want to say regarding common mistakes people make, and this is really important, is interfering with natural consequences. Often people uh, begin their journey of sobriety when the pain of their addiction becomes greater than the pain they imagine they would feel if they got sober. So pain is an agent that inspires change in people who are struggling with addictive or behavioral disorders. And I think people mean well, but by interfering with natural consequences, including but not limited to a little bit of time in jail or a suspended driver's license or a lost job. So many times I've seen friends or loved ones of addicts yell at a boss so that their loved one who's addicted can keep their job Mm. or bail them out of jail or try to find a way to get a DUI conviction put on some type of diversion or find a way to circumvent that consequence. And when we interfere with natural consequences, we minimize the pain the addicts in our lives feel. And that pain, as agonizing as it is for them and their friends and loved ones to endure, is a really therapeutic part of their change journey. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I um, was just thinking of how, oh, yeah, here's something I could contribute because this is a total like misconception I've had. The idea that if you just, and this is totally behavior modification, if you just remove the thing long enough, you know, whether that's, let's just get them in You're rehab. Because right. sure. if they get clean and realize life is so great without <laughs> drugs, right. like, oh, now I, like they're just going to turn around or whatever. Right. I mean, hello, I watched Walk the Line people. I saw them <laughs> stand outside with a shotgun. And as long as Johnny <laughs> right. Cash just got clean, he was going to be okay. So I think that is very much, that's perpetuated that myth a lot of like, you know, they're going to see the difference and how amazing it is. And it's going to be easy once they realize that. 
But also, I want to piggyback on Dr. Trent because I just uh, recently had someone, they called me, um, well, they were somebody referred them to call me. So they called me and they said they were struggling with X, Y, and Z. And I listened to them and then I said, well, good. <laughs> and they were like, it was this pause. I said, it's good that you're struggling. I said, because if, you if you're not struggling, it means you've succumbed to it. I said, so it's good that you're struggling. That means you're resisting it. So, so there's a battle going on. The scriptures is clear on that, that the, the spirit is against the flesh. I said, so there's a battle going on that one is fighting to get you closer to God and one is trying to keep you in slavery. I say, so I'm glad you have this struggle. But I also want to piggyback on what Dr. Trent said. And we just we have lost this. Because especially as Christians, and I'm just saying because I was I didn't accept Jesus. I was like 37. So this especially as Christians, um, I think our heart is in the right place. But sometimes our um, modes are not. Our heart is in the right place because we just want people to have pain relief and to do what's necessary to relieve that pain. But pain is an indicator that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. The scripture says no discipline seems pleasant at the time, mm-hmm. but painful. Mm-hmm. It says later on, however, it reaps a harvest of righteousness. And so I think sometimes mm-hmm. we're so busy trying to pull people out of their pain. But it's also um, a cultural thing where happiness is the new drug. So mm-hmm. if you're not happy, something's wrong with you. But pain is a clear indicator and it's a motivator to move from one position to another. But sometimes we want to jump in so fast that to relieve the pain when God is not, he's using pain as a tool to move this person to to a healthy disposition. Yeah. Okay. But what about when, you know, because Ken, you talked about how, you know, you, you weren't even admitting that you had a problem. You weren't even admitting the addiction. What What about like a situation where this is like a loved one, you know, this is your sibling, someone listening, and they know this is their sibling or this is their mom or whatever. And it's like, this could mean like death. Mm. I mean, this is like this person could be dead on the street or they could be dead or they could contract a disease that is a death sentence or whatever. What, I mean, how do we do that? Are we, do we stand by and let that happen? Mm. Uh, I'm fearful even asking the question. Yeah, Lisa, that's a really great question. I think that's one of the things that really influences loved ones and friends of addicts to feel really trapped. Mm-hmm. One of the great tragedies of addiction is that it is a life-threatening condition. Um, I would encourage your listeners to really try to uh, adapt the view that life and death are held in God's hands and His alone. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that traps people into trying to control other people's behavior or interfere or go to great lengths, and I've heard some really incredible stories of things people have tried to do to get a person sober. You're talking about walk the line. That's the kind of stuff, standing outside a house with a gun. Um... What we, our job is to do what God is calling us to do. That's the process. And we're supposed to leave outcomes of life into God's hands. So I think that um, the people who are our loved ones of addicts are the people God has chosen to be close to the addicts in their life. And what that means is that I think people who are close to addicts have something to offer that God intends for them to offer. And I think that thing, not to be too repetitive, is connection. And there are boundaries with connection, and we can talk about that ad nauseum. But if just, if just the overarching theme of what I would inspire or encourage people to aspire to is to try to love the addicts in their life well— and not take responsibility for the outcome of those people's addiction. It's so hard for me to say that uh, when people are out there living in it. I know it's tough, Mm -hmm. but I really think if people can free themselves from feeling responsible for the outcomes of a person's addiction that might be in their life, they also free themselves up to love and connect really well. Yeah. Okay. So that brings me to another question, which I think is a good segue into possibly addressing some of the boundary issues. And that is, okay, so say your loved one or your friend is like straight up, yeah, I think I have a problem. And I think I might need some help. How do you I mean, my first instinct would be this is amazing. Of course, I'm going to believe them lock, stock and barrel. We're going to start. Here we go. Let's do it. Let's do it. And, you know, so hopeful and so but then we know what, how do you balance? Scripture says, what does it look like? You know, 
uh, watch yourselves. You know, we have to be careful. Like, how do you ensure that you're going to be a help rather than a hindrance? What, you know, so I guess my question in this is someone comes to you and says, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to acknowledge this. I'm here for it. What's your next step as the friend to support this? So that's such a great question because I get that often. Uh, just recently in our, uh, one of our Celebrate Recovery meetings, someone said to me afterwards, they said, I wish church was like this. And I've often said that when the pulpit is vulnerable, the pew is vulnerable. What I see, however, is an opportunity because uh, Dr. Trent was absolutely 100% on point when every research theoretical framework has, has proven this, that connection and community is the key to sobriety. So when someone comes and says, I'm, I'm admitting I have an issue and I have a problem, what can I do? It's not, I always advise people never say go to this or go do this. I always say, can I come with you to this? Hmm. Can I go with you to that? Mm -hmm. Because first there's, there's familiarity when someone's coming alongside you, but the Bible says, how can two walk together lest they agree. So when you're, when you're saying, hey, I want to come alongside you and go here, I want to come alongside you and walk with you there, now you have the potential of someone re receiving community as they're moving into community. I always say, uh, Lisa, I cannot emphasize this enough, without community, as Dr. Trent said, without connection, there can be no recovery. Mm -hmm. But the problem with the Christian and sometimes the churches, we send those people to those places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. And that's a reminder, too, that when you're talking about community, I think we have to realize that even as the, the people that, that love our friends and family members and the helpers that we want to be, they might have to replace an entire community. Mm -hmm. They may have to start going different Absolutely. places. They may Absolutely. have to get new friends. And you might be the conduit to be that person who's going to step them into that. And I think we often forget that of yes. like, it's not just like, I'm going to show up and be strong. And now I'm going to take all my addict friends and, you know, help them get freedom too. That yes. might not be your role. No. I mean, that might not be. That's so, true. so that's good. That's a good point. Mm. Lisa, if I could dovetail off that. So if, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I need help. I'm an addict and I'm ready for sobriety. I think you can cheerlead them. I think you can champion them. I think you can celebrate yeah. that decision. Um, and I pray in the name of Jesus every time any of your listeners hear that, that it's a genuine admission of a desire for help. Uh, truth be told, that admission is not always genuine. Sometimes... A person who's really struggling may make an empty promise just to buy themselves some time or space, unfortunately, to continue acting out. And so I, I would encourage your listeners to trust gen the genuineness of an admission that a person needs help by their demonstration of behavior change over time. So change over time is the best way to discern was somebody really genuine or not. It's easy to change behavior for a day or a week or a month. It's much harder to change behavior for 60 days, 90 days, or a year. And so I want your listeners to be celebratory and excited, but also realistic. Um, I suggest that any of your listeners who has someone come to them and say, I'm ready to get help to get a professional involved as quickly as is absolutely possible. If there are any church leaders or staff people listening to this, I want to encourage you to find some local Christ-centered mental health uh, professionals that you can partner with uh, for situations exactly like this. Focus on the Family has some awesome resources for churches that aren't aware of Christian mental health providers that might be in their area. I want to encourage them to mine your guys' resource network and do some local legwork to figure out who might be available quickly in a situation like this. And one of the things that a professional needs to do is assess the level of care a person needs. For some people who are in really deep uh uh, dark places of substance abuse, they might need inpatient treatment that includes medical detox. Um, for other people, an, an intensive outpatient program or partial hospitalization program may suffice. For some, 
uh, celebrate recovery and outpatient week to week, hour to a week, mental health care may be needed. And those three levels of care that I listed are kind of how I would titrate down the level of care for a person that was really struggling. Often my recommendation is inpatient treatment for a minimum of 90 days, followed by some intensive outpatient treatment. And then I want people involved in a Christ-centered recovery group where they can connect with other people who understand what they're going through, uh, who can also point them to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And we will make sure, and I'll mention that here now as we finish out, um, what some of those resources are and places where people can go to kind of get started. Um, Just guys, kind of in our last minute or two that we have, let's just talk briefly to the person listening who has seen someone in addiction for possibly Mm. years. And they have prayed and they have begged God to help release their family member or their friend or whatever. And they are walking through it and they are kind of like, you know, I'm getting back to where Ken started out of just saying like, you know, where I asked him, I'm like, why would God do this? Why would God? And this person is saying, if God really loves my brother or sister or friend or mom or dad, why wouldn't he just do this? Why wouldn't he do this? Give encouragement to that person to stay the course, to pray for these people, to trust God, that God has a story for them, what that looks like so that they can release control of it and be able to be the person who is going to do what's best for this person with the strength and the resources they have. That's a, such a good ending. For me, um, I've often said this. There is two things that Dr. Trent alluded to. It There's effort and then there's outcome. I am responsible for X, Y, and Z in the effort, but only God gives the outcome. So I'm not responsible for outcome. And I've often, as a pastoral counselor, uh, tried to comfort people with this simple sense of oftentimes our stress is because we're play- putting ourselves in the position of God. We're putting ourselves in the position of outcome, and that's not our job. Our job is the position of effort and the position of connection. And going back to something that you said earlier, when someone comes to me and says, I'm an addict and I want to do something, for me right then and there, I just love on them. And I can love on them and they can be doing this for two weeks and then I don't see them again for two months and then they're back again and they're saying, I got a problem and I'm going to love them. And I know this is going to be a cycle to continue to present itself, but for me, my whole thing is uh, love conquers all things. And I don't care. And if a person keeps coming back to you, keep coming back to you, it's because that's some, something in you is eluding from them. And it's called the Holy Spirit. that's keep drawing them to you because they know what you're going to say to them. They know what you're going to say, get well, you're going to get healed. I got your back. I'm there for you. But they still keep coming back to you. That's the Holy Spirit using you as a vessel to keep repeating the same message. Paul said once in a message, I'm not ashamed to write to you these things again. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm saying this to you again. I'm going to say it to you again. I'm going to say it to you again because I love you. And that's the message that we have to say. Listen, you got this. You can do this. Lisa, excellent question. Uh, Revelation 12, 11 says they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I want to share with your listeners just a two second version of my uh, a segment of my story in hopes of encouraging them. I was in treatment eight different times for two and a half years total and nothing seemed to work. And my family are wonderful Christian people and they know lots of wonderful Christian people who were all praying and all trusting. And it just didn't seem to work. And God through his just Uh, grace and love did transform my life. I was the impossible case and everything had been tried. And so there there are some kind of outrageous theological positions on some of this stuff. But I I want to tell your listeners, there really is hope in Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons people become hopeless is to manage the pain of waking up hopeful every day that something is going to come to pass and going to sleep that night, having not realized that thing they had hoped in having actually come to pass. And I understand why people would become hopeless to avoid that pain or ease that pain. As much as I could encourage them, Galatians 6, 9 says, don't grow weary in doing good and hoping for the people you love and praying for the people you love and believing for the people you love for at just the right time, 
you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Lisa, if Dr. Ken can change and Dr. Trent can change, (laughs) anybody can change. Mm -hmm. And I want people to understand that God is able no matter what. And I'm hoping that my story and Ken's story restores a little bit of hope in people who find themselves in that position. And I want to just say to Dr. Trent, um, one of the things I didn't say uh, was this was from the time I admitted I was an addict, it still took me about eight years mm-hmm. to be clean. Mm-hmm. I went to my wife and told her about my pornography. She didn't know. She was shocked because I, I, I always teach discipline and self-control. My wife has never condemned me. She's never convicted me. She's never said, uh, are you still struggling? She's never. She knew that my love for Christ was going to compel me to keep this fight going. And so it was amazing because I've heard some horror stories from guys and, and ladies who uh, spouses w- want them out the house and all this. And it's like, but when I'm in pain. The last thing I want is to be rejected by the people that love me the most. Now, that doesn't mean being a tool, or, uh, but it's the last thing. I trust, trust me when I say this, my wife's love compelled me to move forward. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, and again, it speaks what both of you said, that it's not your wife's responsibilities to keep you clean. Mm, You've got a journey with the Lord that is your journey alone, and their journey with the Lord is trusting the Lord with you and with your stories. And I think that's so helpful for uh, for folks to remember, because we all have a role to play, but Mm. it's not to take on other people's roles and do their business (laughs) that they need to do with the Lord. You guys, thank you Mm -hmm. so much for being part of this conversation, being so so honest and vulnerable about that. Um, I pray, you guys listening, that this is going to help you and give you hope. And so let's get started um, on this journey together. Here we go. Um, First of all, I mentioned this last week, the book, Healing the Scars of Addiction, Reclaiming Your Life and Moving into a Healthy Future. Go to Boundless.org, search for 829 this week's episode. You'll see the book cover there. You give a gift to Boundless for any amount. We will send you a copy immediately of this book so that you can read it. Maybe just get a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of inspiration of like, okay, what's going on here? What were they talking about? Also, go to boundless.org slash counseling for all kinds of resources and advice that you might get related to what we've talked about today. So I'm talking advice, I'm talking resources, I'm talking even a complimentary consult with one of our licensed Christian professional counselors or pastoral counselors who are going to help you on that next step that you need towards freedom including referrals to someone in your area who might be able to continue the journey with you. So that's just a great resource to do. You can call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A and the word FAMILY if you want to set that up via phone. So that's totally fine. All right. um, That is it, y'all. I mean, this is a journey that we can all be on together as the body of Christ. Again, connection is so important here. And so uh, let's go after it. Let's make it happen. And thank you for listening, for hanging in with us for these two weeks, because I think it could be transformational.
Well, folks, we are finishing out the show, and whenever we do, we like to open up our inbox, which is answering one of your questions, and we bring in an actual expert, you guys, to answer these. So sometimes it's a member of our counseling staff. Um, Sometimes it's me, sadly. It depends. Uh, Sometimes it's someone else, and sometimes it's one of our dear pastor friends because it's a theological or ministry issue. And so today we have our dear friend, Pastor Mark Bates. Hey, Mark. Hello, Lisa. Uh, he's going to answer this week's question. And so it's really great to have you here. So, to be here. All right. Well, our listener just wants to know straight up, how do you continuously study the Bible and devotional books without it getting repetitive? <laughs> so it's just that, it's that one book called the Bible, Mark. Right, I mean, right. why do we just keep reading it or what? What's going on? So I think that's great. That is, that is a great question. And um, I've been doing reading my Bible for a long time, so I know the, uh, and understand the issue here. Is uh, you know you can a couple of things. One is you can always go deeper. I, I you know I've been studying the Bible for a very long time, and uh, yet I do tend to learn something. Not every time. I think that'd be an overstatement, but most times I go to the Bible, and so, so there are ways to reflect on it. Certain things you can do is taking your time as you go through, going deeper. Uh, you know, I think sometimes we read through and we try to to rush it through. So uh, going slower. The other is repetition isn't necessarily a bad thing, and we tend to think of, uh, of repetition as, as something that's wrong, but certain things kind of need to be repeated. Like every day I, I take a shower, I repeat that every single day, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, eat certain foods, and, um, and that's just kind of normal for us to do. And in this case, the repetition is, is thinking about what we're trying to do with the Bible. I think sometimes we go to the Bible and we think, what I'm trying to do is I'm learning something new every day, or I'm getting a new point of action. I'm not sure that's really the idea. Uh, for example, everyone's saying, or some people say, I need to find an application from this text. Well, if you read the Bible every day, that's 365 applications in a year, you're not going to do that. So um, really what we're needing the Bible to do is remind us of things we're prone to forget throughout the day, and we're prone to forget the gospel. We're prone to forget that we are saved by, by God's grace alone. We're prone to think that we have to justify ourselves by our work, by our performance, by how well we do. And so if we're reading the Bible as that daily reminder uh, of what the gospel is, uh, Martin Luther said, we're so prone to forget the gospel that we need to beat it into our heads continually. And that's kind of what we're doing, because every day I forget, every day I'm trying to build my own resume, every day I'm trying to prove myself. But if I remember that Christ has already done those things for me, then, uh, then that's what I'm doing with the scriptures. I'm going back, I'm hearing God's voice to remind me of who I am in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it, it can be repetitive. Um, but I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Yeah, that's good. It just reminds me, too, as you were talking of how Scripture itself promises and states that it is living and active, and that supernatural component of the Scriptures. I remember just hearing a, a pastor say recently how, yeah, it's not like you take the Bible as a book and walk around saying, I have the Bible, I know the Bible, and you're just <laughs> right. holding it out. It's what's contained in there as a, you mm-hmm. know, we call it the sword. It's an armory of swords, mm-hmm. you know, that we can actively use against the devil. So mm-hmm. such a great point um, as far as that goes. Thank can you. Can I so recommend much. a resource? Yes. Okay. Uh, so there's a book called Unlimited Grace by Brian Chapel, And uh, the, the middle portion of the book talks to you about how you see the grace in the passage. And I think that's something that can be very helpful for people instead of just looking and going, okay, um, you know, David fought Goliath, what do I do with this? You know, it, going through and say, thinking, well, where's the grace in this passage? And so learning how to see the gospel in every page, I think that's one thing that can be very, very helpful. Super great. Yeah, that's good. And if you're listening and you think you don't need grace, just get the book and start reading it because you're the one that this is for. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Uh, thank you again, Thanks. Mark. Perfect. Well, folks, uh, that is it for this week's show. Of course, we want to hear from you. In fact, we are still taking your Christmas cards. Um, we're so excited about the ones that have come in. You know that we have done this at Boundless for years now. You send us a Christmas card. I always 
always say preferably with your photo and an update on your year because we want to know your business. Um, But either way, you just send us a card. We will pray for you by name into the new year. So we want to consider you as family. We do consider you family. And so um, we want to make sure that you know that and you feel prayed for as we head into 2024. So uh, just send it to the Boundless team at 8605 Explorer Drive in Colorado Springs with a zip of 80920. That's it for this week's show. I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. God wants true disciples, ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him, disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.